Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and today I am joined once more by Anthony Squid, Gabriella. Squid, how are we doing? Oh, you know, I'm doing spectacular as just a lot as, as the Celtics are doing. So, you know, very happy to be here. Oh, it what it's we were getting a taste of a Celtics turnaround last time we talked going into the all-star break. They were on a nine game winning streak and boy, have they stayed just as hot since we last spoke They're Actually, if we recap, they're currently sitting at 47 and 29 currently third in the Eastern conference, but only a game back of the top seeded Miami heat. Since we last spoke, they have won 13 of their last 16 since that all-star break and are 24 and four since the end of January with a plus 15.8 differential. That's right around when they started that big winning streak. And that's that at one point this past weekend, they actually were in first place in a tie with Miami and they had a tiebreaker. So they were shown as the number one seed in the East, which was a far cry from earlier this season when they were sitting in the playing tournament range in that seven ten area. So man, squid talk to me. What, what has turned around that has just kept this team super hot in the second half? Yeah, you know, I think the Celtics were were listening to all the all the news, all the haters, and writing it down and using it as their fuel. You know, they were obviously Boston's most hated team, uh, written off by everyone. A team that was just it was a chore to watch them night in, night out. Like it was the worst. I mean, I still watch them. I'm a loyal Celtics fan, but it was just beyond infuriating for the first half of the year at 23 and 24. It's like all I hear. Should they split up the Jays? What's going wrong? It's like. Man, this is not where I thought they would be a couple of years back when we were looking at how many titles can we win with these guys? Four or five titles? Can you know? Can they be Boston's best best duo ever as far as the Celtics go? Like obviously the Celtics have a long history, so we we were we're there, and now all of a sudden we have wrote the ship probably harder than anyone has wrote the ship in season in NBA history. I mean, I don't know of a team ever going being where they were to at the at halfway point to getting to the one seed and having the best defense, having the best net rating, having the best rating for everything. It's truly, truly incredible. Um, you know, the turnaround has just been – they've been playing together basketball. Uh, I think all along, all well, that's happening, Jason Tatum has spurred his name into the MVP conversation, which we'll talk about later. But it's like – I think it's been led by him. But, you know, everyone's just started making the best basketball decisions on the court. And that, is, in my opinion, is probably uh, due to Ime Udoka – really laying into these guys early in the season and trying to get rid of their bad habits, constantly being on their ass, calling them out in the media, you know, not being easy on them and getting those bad habits out of here. Emeg got rid of those things and they whipped up all around. They look at the 2014 Spurs out there. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, and there's one other thing that Udoka has done during the stretch that kind of has turned things around that I definitely want to get into a little bit later. It refers to Rob Williams on the defensive end, but just looking at the Eastern Conference standings right now with the Heat currently atop, a half game ahead of the Bucks, a game ahead of the Celtics, and a game and a half ahead of the 76ers. There's four teams right there at the top that are so close 
And it's been, I don't think that's ever happened where four teams have been within a game or so of each other this late in the season with about six or seven games left to go on each team's schedule. So with that in mind, Squid, do you think they can get it back in in terms of the top seed? Do you think they can get back there? Yeah, I mean, I think we're sitting here on Wednesday, uh, March, what is it, 30th today? Yep. Well, on Wednesday, March 30th, the Celtics have a big uh, showdown tonight with the Miami Heat, uh, who seem to be having a little trouble in paradise down there. <laughs> as uh, That's an you know, understatement. I know a strictly Celtics podcast, but anytime I see the mortal enemy Miami Heat, led by the you know evil Pat Riley uh, <laughs> down there just blowing up, I love to mention it, you know. So it's a big bout tonight. Uh, we obviously lost on Monday on a back-to-back without Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford. Uh, who else? Robert Williams out was was missing, so it's a pretty understandable loss. I mean, we had four or five starters not playing, um, and it was back to back. We can definitely excuse that loss. Tonight's obviously a much bigger bout because if we can take Miami down, we reclaim that one seed because we have them on head head wins this year. So it's possible. You know, it's definitely possible to get the one seed. However, the real question is, do you want the one seed? That is definitely the better question. If you look at each team's the top four teams scheduled down the stretch. The Celtics, as you mentioned, playing Miami tonight. Then they get a pair of very winnable games at home against the Pacers and Wizards before closing out on a three-game road trip to playoff teams Chicago, Milwaukee, and Memphis. So the Celtics have an opportunity to make their own, really decide where they want to be, but they also could just end up not even having control where on a team like uh, Miami, they're, they're going to be in a, a little bit tougher of a spot as their playoff stretch to close the season features matchups on the road against Chicago and Toronto. They also have to play, play in tournament teams like Charlotte and Atlanta on top of tonight's matchup against Boston. So, I mean – the Heat definitely do not have an easy stretch. Milwaukee for sure does not have an easy stretch. They've got to play Brooklyn, the Clippers, the Mavs, Bulls, and Celtics, and Cavs. So, I mean, in, even if we look at the 76ers, they're probably the only team that is really, I would say, in control fully of their destiny because they've got a bunch of cupcakes. The the Cleveland Cavaliers and Toronto Raptors are their hardest opponents down the stretch here because they've got a pair of games with the Pacers and uh, Pistons. So I I look at the top four and I think the 76ers definitely have the easiest schedule down the road, but the other three have, have somewhat difficult stretches, but it, like you said, it really comes down to where do you want to be seated in the, in when all is said and done, because there's one elephant in the room towards the in the playing tournament range, and that is the Brooklyn Nets, who are likely to be either the seven or eight seed. So I'm sure we're gonna be in agreement on this one. I don't think anyone wants to end up playing Brooklyn in round one. I'm I'm with you. You know, it's it's crazy because you could earn that one seed and earn Brooklyn in the first round. Cause here's the thing, the playing matchup, the first, the first game is going to be Toronto. I think Toronto or Cleveland. I think it's maybe Cleveland now is a seven. 
Yep. Or is it Toronto? Sorry, I don't know if you're familiar with which one it is. It's Cleveland right now. Cleveland's sitting at okay. seven. They're a game back at Toronto for six. Okay, so I guess there's two situations. So if if it's Cle- if it's going to be Cleveland sitting there at the seven and Brooklyn at the eight, I do think Brooklyn will come out as a seven and they'll play who the two seed is. If it's Toronto who is the seven, Kyrie can't play in Toronto, which means I might take Toronto in that first playing game. That means Brooklyn could fall all the way down to. It looks like we may have some technical difficulties here. Stand by. Sorry, I'm back. Oh, we're back. Pick up where you left off, my man. Back in line. Okay. So, you know, I I was saying that, like, there's a chance that Kyrie could, could not play in Toronto and, and Brooklyn could be the eight seed. So, you have mm-hmm. no idea what seed Brooklyn's going to be, whether it's going to be seven or eight, because the playing game, you, anything can happen in one game. I obviously picked the Nets to win either of those against either of those teams, but you never know. So, in my honest opinion, I would rather have the like I would rather have the three seed because you get the six, you get the six seed who's going to be one of Cleveland or Toronto. Great, that should be a cupcake of a first round if we're playing the way we are. And then you look at the uh, you look at the next round, which is obviously important. That could be Philadelphia. So, I mean, I mean, I, I honestly think there's a you know. Obviously, the one seed's great because you get home court, and we have a great home court advantage because Boston fans are really intense. But I, I wouldn't put it past the Celtics trying to find that three seed and getting the easier first round here. It's going to be so tough to kind of nitpick uh, down the stretch until like the last game or two of the season and try and place yourself where you want to be because of how close these teams are. Like if if everyone's within a game of each other there's no way to be able to really pick or choose where you want to win and lose in in terms of trying to position yourself down the stretch here. You almost have to just play to win and then just see where the chips fall. In in this case, I think while I think the 76ers definitely have the easiest schedule, they're also the furthest back and they have, I mean, that's just, I, I'm, I'm just, it's going to be so tough to really lock in on a spot. I think the most ideal situation for the Celtics, like you said, is to keep that three seed, hope that Milwaukee ends up being the one. And that way Miami would be the two and Philly would be the four. If you, if you get that with Brooklyn being in the eight spot, I think that is the best case scenario for Boston. You get, either Toronto or Cleveland, like you said, in round one, even without Robert Williams for an extended period of time, you should be able to win that series. Second round, potentially against a team like Miami, or if in worst case, if Brooklyn got the seven, could be, could be them. Maybe it's Milwaukee if they're the two in the current standings hold. But if, if you're – the dream scenario would be to get the three, play Toronto or Cleveland round one, and then play a two-seeded Miami Heat team in the semifinal round of the conference. So that way you're avoiding Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn until a potential conference final. And I'm not saying that including Philly in that because I'm scared of them, but 
I am including them because they are one of the best teams and they, they've got a healthy Joel Embiid and, and a healthy James Harden. They're at least a threat. I just, they still have perennial playoff joker, James Harden. So you're you're not going to be terribly, terribly scared. That being said, uh, let's move on to a couple of things before we wrap up sort of the, the conference perspective here. Uh, Squid, let me ask you this. Do you think that right now, the way the Celtics are playing, and despite the loss of Robert Williams, do you think they are still the best team in the East? You know, I honestly, it's hard to really gauge it because one night, like they're blowing everyone out of the water. So it's like every game, Utah destroys them. Denver, in Denver's house, we destroy them. Um, I mean, everyone we're playing, it's just not even close. Minnesota, they've been playing some great basketball. They came to town all fired up, and we just absolutely destroyed them. It's like, okay, we lost Rob, who's a key player for us, but it's like, is that a 20-point loss? It's, or it's like, are we still going to beat these teams just more narrow now because we've been blowing everyone out of the water? Like, no one's even on the same level as us. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point there. Mm-hmm. The Celtics have been playing so well against the, the great teams in the league. They're 27 and 16 against teams above 500, which is the second, and those 27 wins are the second most in the league. The problem is that, like you said, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but they're blowing these teams out of the water to the point where most of these games are ending up not being competitive towards the end. And so yeah. when the Celtics are actually playing close games, they actually do not have a very good record when games are decided by single digits. They're 15 and 20 on the season. And sure. Maybe that was, fair. That, a lot of that was early in the year. And yeah, I, I was, I 100% agree. A lot of that took place earlier on the season, but at the end of the day, they're still three and nine in one possession games. They've yeah. been better lately in that department, but still that, that, Three and nine record just does not bode well in a playoff scenario unless you're able to just manhandle teams throughout the postseason. And that's more than likely not going to be the case. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm with you. You have to get you have to get past that because it, it's been a couple of years where like the end against situations weren't great. However, you know, with a new coach here in EMA, like they didn't figure out their rotations to halfway through the year when the record started changing anyways. So now with a consistent rotation, adding us like a very, very stable player like Derek White in there, where he's not a great offensive player by any means, but he makes the right play a lot. I think that kind of changes a lot because the biggest issue the Celtics were facing at the end of those games where they were blowing those leads or close games was they were just making the wrong decisions at times. And Derek White is a guy who constantly makes the right decision, which I think it's a big connecting piece because Horford tends to make the right decision. And now we're starting to see Jalen and Jason and Smart make correct decisions as they grow up where it's like, okay, maybe we can trust the team. Obviously they have to prove it for us to see it, but it's like for us to, to believe it. But I think we're getting to a point where it's like, they might just blow teams out and, you know, or at the very least, this stretch has going has given them confidence where when they do get in these close games, they know they're that good. They know, they, they know they're actually belong there and it's not like some, you know, some stretch of imagination that shouldn't have got there. It's like they actually deserve to be here and it's going to carry a confidence with them where these close games might not be an issue anymore. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only time will tell on, on that. Now Absolutely. I kind of m- mentioned how I, I feel I'm not too 
scared of the Philadelphia 76ers as in a playoff series. Uh, I think the two teams that I would be a little bit worried to face would be the Bucks and the Nets, especially if Rob Williams is still out by that point. Uh, hopefully that is not the case. But Squid, let me ask you, what teams you would be worried of to face or scared of facing for the Celtics in a potential playoff series? Yeah. So I think my first, my first thing that I, I definitely want to touch home on is if Robert Williams is healthy in the Eastern conference, I'm not scared of anyone. I am not scared of a single team seeing the way they've been playing basketball, the way they defend. I mean, they make it so hard on people who are good at offense to actually operate that it's going to be hard for anyone to really get a momentum especially when they're playing a seven game series and the Celtics can really hone in on habits and not just study them one night at a time where they can really like pick up the concepts the other teams are trying to do and use that at, to their advantage on defense. I'm not scared of anyone with Rob Williams available. However, if Rob's not there, I don't want to play. I don't want to play Milwaukee because Giannis is obviously a problem and Rob's our best shot blocker. We need Rob at the rim when we're playing Giannis. I know Horford can hold up a little bit down there and so can Tice but we need Rob down low and being that huge shot blocking threat. That's going to make Giannis think twice about coming into Rob's paint. I mean, that's a big deal. I don't want to see Milwaukee if we don't have Rob. However, if we do have Rob, I'm actually weirdly confident against Milwaukee because we've played them great the past few years. Um, Now the Sixers, if you asked me that two nights after the Harden trade, when they look like world beaters, I would have told you I'm scared of that team. Now I've watched them for a couple weeks now. I've watched Harden. It's hilarious how, it's going to be the awesome. It's going to be an awesome demise. It's I'm telling you, it is going to be amazing. I, you, you heard it here. If you, if you are just a common basketball listener, you heard it here first, this demise is going to be incredible. And that is because Joel Embiid, we know is good in carry a team and is a great player. He might be the MVP, which I think he should be the MVP, but there is no like Harden chokes up in the postseason. Embiid can't play every single minute and be in great shape. Like, I think there's going to be issues that come along with this, and I think that's going to lead. I don't know if it's going to be a first-round next. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. It depends on their matchup. Because they, if somehow, you know, I don't know, the 4-5 of Chicago, I don't think Chicago can beat him, but I don't know. Like, if, if Harden just does his thing and he chokes up and Maxie's not ready for the moment, who knows? I'd love to see, I'd love to see Philadelphia in the second round. Mm-hmm. Personally. I, I mean, Brooklyn, not too – I mean, it depends because – is Simmons ready and ready to play and ready to guard this Tatum or not? It really depends. Yeah. The, with Simmons still not even really in basketball shape uh, and not, and just beginning to accompany the team on road trips. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing Simmons being ready to get back on the floor by the end of the regular season and certainly would not be in full playoff mode. Uh, were he to return for the playoffs, he would definitely not be ready for a full-blown uh, assortment of minutes. So I think the Nets are still dangerous with Kyrie now able to play both at home and on the road, with the exception being uh, aforementioned being up in Toronto. But nevertheless, still with Kyrie and KD, that team can go off on any given night, and they have enough shooting even without Joe Harris to be able to, to knock things down on the perimeter uh, outside and make it rain from downtown. So yeah. they, they're lethal on offense. It's, it's whether or not they can stay healthy and get enough uh, from their supporting cast and lock play enough defense to, 
to support it. The so I'm I'm with you if they do have a fully healthy Rob Williams, he's and he's he's able to return and play like he was before he got hurt. Then yes, you I think you have to call the Celtics the best team in the East, and you really shouldn't be afraid of playing anyone. You should have confidence going into any given series with a team in the East. But like you said, that's probably not going to be the case. And I'm looking at the Rob Williams timeline for injury. Uh, they just said uh, it came out a report that it's looking more like four to six weeks rather than the initial six to eight weeks, given the scope of the surgery of the procedure that was done. So it is possible that he could only miss maybe a round, round and a half, maybe, but I think it'll probably be closer to Eastern Conference Finals when he comes back. So I think the Celtics really need to get a a preferred matchup in the conference semis just to make sure that they're not uh, overly... I don't know what the word is here, but they, they don't want to get a matchup. I don't think they want to end up with Milwaukee in round two without Rob Will, with Jim yeah. Giannis being able to drive at Will. Yeah, and, and you know, I will say the Celtics are very well experienced. They're going into playoff runs without a great player. They've done it three times in Tatum and Brown's career. So who says they can't do it again? I mean, mm-hmm. like – if you look back the year Kyrie and Hayward were both hurt, they were supposed to lose in the first round. They were, were in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's like H- Horford and Tice down low are nothing to shake your head at. I mean, they're still good defenders down there. It's like, and Grant Williams is a good defender too. They, I still think, like, I still think without Rob, they can give anyone, they, I still think they have a puncher's chance. I'm not <laughs> saying they're the favorite by any means without Rob, but they still have a puncher's chance. Now with Rob, like I said, I think we're the favorite, you know, four to six weeks. We're looking at like sometime in the second round, they'll be back. So, you know, if we get Philadelphia and we're, we start the series 2-0, let Rob's knee heal a little longer until the conference finals, you know? Yeah. So, like, let's – this is the long game. We're trying to win an NBA title here, which I actually think we have a chance to do, which I cannot believe I'm saying. But, <laughs> you know, you got you to gotta play, play it day by day. You can't say, oh, yeah, Rob's definitely coming back middle of second round. Because it's like if you're in the second round against the Miami Heat, who I don't fare at all anymore. I mean – if you asked me three months ago, I would have told you, yeah, I'm probably pretty scared of Miami. They're a really gritty group. Seems like they play really well together. They, they, they're just a bunch of fools down there. So I'm not as terrified of them. I don't, I don't care about the results tonight. I don't really think this game, as much as people say this game means, I don't actually think it means as much because the Celtics are okay with the four or five seed, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. Not the five seed, the four seed. But yeah. You know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be happy to see any team that's not Milwaukee in the second round. Yeah, 100% agree. Maybe not Brooklyn either, but I mean, anyone else. It, mm-hmm. like, it really depends on what version of Brooklyn we're getting. So, yeah. Now, I, I we cannot stress the importance of how big it is to get Rob Williams back as quickly as possible, as healthy as possible mm-hmm. for the playoff run. He had been in the midst of what. I think it's fair to call a breakout season, nearly averaging a double-double. He had been averaging 10 points, 9.6 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and a steal a game. He was actually, I think, second in the league in blocks before suffering his injury. Uh, And he also had been ranked number one amongst those who have defended at least 500 shots as the closest primary defender because he's the only player in the league holding those shooters to under 40% shooting on the season. 
then you add the rim protection layer of the things and how he impacts the paint. And it's just, it's just something that the Celtics can't replicate without him. Tice is okay. Horford is okay, but it's, they just don't offer the same sort of verticality and rim protection uh, and athleticism in the paint that Rob Williams does. And you see that reflected in a lot of sort of metrics. I mean, just in general, the Celtics are allowing a league low 105.9 points per hundred percent possessions on the season. And I think the, the big part of that is in mid January, Ime Udoka decided to take Rob Williams off of other team centers and match them up on their power forwards and have Horford match up on the centers. That way Rob Williams could play a little bit more off ball and kind of float around as kind of that free safety in the paint and kind of rim protect a lot more. And that has just done wonders ever since then it's been even more insane defensively for the Celtics and without Rob Williams to kind of do that, it's going to be interesting to see how the Celtics try and accommodate that and try and make up for that loss. Are they going to revert back to just a more traditional sense, traditional lineup and matchups, or are they going to try and play some small ball and roll out the Jays at both the forward positions? I'm definitely going to be interested to see that, but like just squid talk to me about like, the importance of Robert Williams to a potential playoff slash championship run and how the team can hope to try and make do without him. Yeah. I mean, he, like you said, he's been pretty much playing free safety. Like when it comes to like kind of just playing off, like off of our normal, like we, we play the switch, everything. Well, you know, they find it a way. So Rob can cover a non-shooter and he's just pretty much guarding the rim without staying three in the key. It's amazing. And, you know, that allows Rob to, I mean, our defense to thrive. However, I mean, Rob's on and off numbers are amazing, but that doesn't mean like other guys, other guys in our team's on and off numbers aren't also amazing because if Rob's on the lineup and you put Grant at the small ball four and Al at the five or put Al at the five and then just run, you know, smart, smart, white, brown, Tatum, Al, it's fine. Your lineup's still going to be a good defensive. There's no defensive holes, no, nowhere on your squad. So it's like, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with the loss of Williams, you still have a potential defensive player of the year candidate in Marcus Smart. And a lot has been talked about with Time Lord and how the, the impact he's had. But I feel like Marcus Smart kind of flies under the radar a little bit in some people's eyes because he's just doing what he's been doing. And and you don't necessarily see the impact he makes on the defensive end on the stat sheet. So squid talk to me about Marcus smart, like, cause I'm looking at the defensive player of the year odds on a couple of different sports books. And there are some that have Marcus smart as the odds on favorite to win Depoy this late in the season. Some Others have Bam Adebayo and Rudy Gobert, but there are some that actually list Marcus Smart as the front runner. So, do you think he's the favorite at this point? 
Dude, it's insane because it's been a long time coming. We've been yelling about Marcus Smart being depoy since he's entered the league. And, you know, obviously a lot of the time it's been unjustified because he's not actually depoy. Like, there's other defenders who have been better. But when your defense is the best in the league and, you know, you're a team that could possibly be the one seed, which I think the Celtics have a real chance to be the one seed, despite us talking about how they should play this, you know, Brooklyn roulette. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like where, where do you want to go with, you know, the, the seeding? It's like, well, if, if they're the one seed and they have the best defense in the league, the best net rating in the league, we got to give them one major award. You can't just not give them anything because the Suns are going to get Monty Williams coach of the year. Yep. The Celtics aren't going to get the MVP because it's either going to go to Jokic or Embiid, in my opinion. And if we're not going to get any of these awards, it's like, I think, I think the, the NBA writers and the people who are like, it's pretty much a WWE writing NBA script most of the times when it comes to these awards anyways. I think the people who are deciding this are, are pretty much just like, okay, what can we give the Celtics? Okay, Marcus Smart, D-Boy. So I think it's probably, <laughs> if the Celtics finish strong here, I think it's going to happen. He'll actually be the first guard since Gary Payton to win a D-Boy, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, the glove. They literally called him the glove for a reason. So it's like, mm-hmm. it, it would be amazing. It would be amazing if Smart wins D-Boy. Uh, Well-deserved. He's been gritty his whole career. And, you know, I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen because I don't think, Bam, in my opinion, I don't think Bam's going to win either. I mean, he missed 30 games. It's like, we're really going to give the deport to a guy. I'd rather give it to Jaron Jackson Jr. If it's not going to be Marcus Smart personally, yeah. but yeah, the Celtics could very well have Marcus Smart be a deport this year. Yeah. And if he did win, it would be the first time since 95, 96 that a guard won. Like you said, Gary Payton. So it's been it's almost insane. a quarter century since a guard has won deport. So I'm hoping that Marcus Smart gets the respect that he finally deserves. Uh, but there's another uh, major award that we could talk about and we've already kind of leaned into a little bit, and that's MVP. You've mentioned Jokic and Embiid being the front runners alongside Giannis, but the fact that Jason Tatum has emerged as a potential top five MVP finalist is crazy given the Celtics start to the season. So squid talk to me about just the emergence of Jason Tatum into the MVP conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's just insane. You know, uh, he, like he, we were at a point where it's like, okay, Tatum's good, but can he be is earlier in the year? We were looking at a guy that was potentially going to be a, you know, maybe top, top 15 player, maybe make third team all NBA just because of his stats to like, this guy could be number three for the MVP. It's like he's been averaging 33 a month, I think, or 30 a month in March. And it's like since the end of the calendar year flipped, he's had like pretty much the best stats in the league. His plot, his net ratings plus my, everything has been like off the charts. And also like his playmaking has gone to a whole new level. He's, I don't know, Mark, uh, Jason Tatum's had this like swagger about him the past three months like that he didn't have before. Like he was, he's a pretty quiet guy. We all know JT's not like a, I mean, he complains about calls here and there. But as far as Jason Tatum goes, he doesn't make noise in the media. He's he he. I mean, he's healthy all the time. It's like such a reliable superstar. Like we knew all that, but it's like now he's has his fire in him. We're starting to see, you know, after a big shot or dunk, he's getting in guys' faces and yelling at him. Actually, a report today came out. Uh, he was talking to his trainer, Drew Hanlon, on the phone, and that and Drew Hanlon, who is his trainer, is also Embiid's trainer. And uh, Hanlon was doing a workout with Embiid and at the end of their conversation. Tatum asked uh, Hanlon to put put it uh, put it on speakerphone, and he's like, "Hey, is Joel there?" And Joel was like, "What's up?" 
and Tatum said, you better win it this year because it's mine next year. But the MVP, <laughs> it's like Tatum's starting to create this fire about him. And, you know, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, that is what you want to see, folks. That is what you want to see. Yep. And what's really propelled him to this? He's been solid defensively, which we've known that he has the potential to be. And he's definitely shown that, but he has just gone nuclear on offense since the all-star break. He's led the team in scoring in all but three games since then. And he's averaging in the second half, 32 points a game, seven rebounds, five assists, and he's shooting over the 50, 40, 90 benchmark, 50% from the field, 40% from field, uh, from three rather, and 90% from the three throw line. Like that is insane. And can you, I, I know your buddies are going to hate this for a, being a Duke fan. Is this like your like biggest dream come true? Just like this, this amazing player coming through the pipes. He commits to Duke. He's a, you know, he's a good Dukey. Then it's, gets drafted by the Celtics and becomes one of the best players in the league. It's like, you can't write it up any better than that for a Duke and a Celtics fan, right? No, no, this, this only happens in dreams until now. It, and it's, it's reality. And you get to see it for another 10 years, possibly. Ah, uh, and to think that, to think that we, we were at least thinking about the idea of, eh, maybe he doesn't stick around for another contract. Nope. No, no, this, He's this there. is my He's man. There. He is here to stay. And I am forever in his like graces. Like, please do, <laughs> do not leave me. Just stay a Celtic for life and I will be just fine. Just- and, and, I'm, and I'm one of the biggest Jason Tatum stands you can find. Like, I, I, will fi- I will argue to the death for this guy. This is my Jason Tatum is my guy. But I mean, I, I'm not a Duke fan, so I can't even feel the whole extent of what Jason Tatum means to you. It's like, it's crazy oh. that he's. He's your athlete there, and that, now he's your athlete here. And he's that, not just an athlete. He's one of the best players in the league. He's 20, 24 years old, and he's just getting – he's just starting to figure it out. Because 24-year-old Jason Tatum right now is going to look completely different from 27-year-old Jason Tatum. Yeah. He's going to tell you. On. Let me tell you. I wear my Jason Tatum jersey to work every game night. I don't care. <laughs> I don't – let the haters be damned. Like, Jason Tatum just – like you said, just from Duke – to to Boston, it's just a dream come true for you, boy. So I it's, I couldn't be more happy. It's unreal, and you know, Draymond Green does like his podcast series. Yes, he had Bradley Bale on the other night. I, I and saw Bradley this. Bale was this was I mean I was like I was just like drooling as I was watching this game. <laughs> Bradley Bale is like I'm, I keep telling Tatum he's he's going to be way better than me. Like he's the face, he's the next face of the league. He is, and then Draymond's like, dude, you're right. Like that's Draymond Green, like defensive multiple defensive player of the year, three time NBA champion Draymond mm-hmm. Green, who seems to have a pulse of what's going on. You know, the guy might be a little, he might be a little nuts on the court, but like <laughs> yeah. when it comes to his NBA mind and like how like, he has a high IQ and he knows the best players, not the best players, and he knows Jason Tatum is that dude, and that he's, you know, Jason Tatum might be the best player in the league in three years. I don't like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he is. It's, it might be him and Luca battling it out for the next 10 years. Yeah, and I would love to see that. Now, if the Celtics are going to make a deep run and push for a championship this year, it's they're going to need guys like Tatum and Brown to go off, no doubt. But they're also going to need help from their supporting cast. And yep. right now, they are getting that. They have eight players averaging 
at least nine points per game since the all-star break. And when you look at the bench since the trade deadline, adding uh, Derek White and bringing back Daniel Tice to go alongside Peyton Pritchard, who's emerged after a little bit of a slow start to really heating up, especially from the perimeter, and Grant Williams, who has been just really, really solid, much improved from three, a great three and D option off the bench. The Celtics definitely have depth to not only uh, manage in the absence of Rob Williams, but once they get Rob Williams back, hopefully fully healthy uh, in time later on in the playoffs. I mean, this is, this is a bench that maybe is actually going to be an X factor and potentially fuel a, a championship run at times. So squid talk to me about your thoughts on the bench and how important it is for the bench to continue contributing, not only on offense, but defensively as well. Yeah. So, you know, NBA, in the NBA, typically it's the best player in the series that typically decides the series. That doesn't mean that one player though swings every game. Like how NBA playoff series works. There's ups and downs. Home teams have huge advantages. We know how it goes. We've watched the NBA our whole lives, but it's like, you know, when, when the smoke settles in, who's going to be standing there that actually comes through. And, you know, you know, Jason Tatum is, we've seen him in big games. He always steps up when, when the lights are brightest. We know he's gone. Is, is Jalen Brown going to probably, I mean, we haven't, I don't think we fully really, I mean, Jalen's had a couple of good playoff moments, but I really want to see with him, but it's the, it, it's the guys who aren't those two superstars right there that are going to really, really matter to whether the Celtics are a second round exit or they're in the NBA finals, you know, going toe to toe with Devin Booker, Steph Curry. So it's like, it, those guys are going to matter. And I think a big name to look out for is Grant Williams. Grant Williams is going to be on the floor a lot, especially with Rob out. It's how he shoots. It's how he decision makes, you know, is the moment too big for him? Personally, I don't think it is. Cause I think Grant's an alpha and I think Grant's a guy who is not going to back down from anybody. Um, he's a big player. Derek White, the day we made that trade, I've been a big Derek White fan for a while, but I think personally he's going to swing up. He's going to swing a playoff game. Derek White's going to get hot for, you know, a 10-minute stretch where he has 15 points out of nowhere, whether it's threes or getting to the line, whatever it is, make big defensive plays. I think he's another guy that's going to step up. The big question to me personally is Peyton Pritchard because right now he's with Rob out. I believe he's our eighth man. Mm-hmm. And you, you need eight guys in the playoff series. You, but eight's always the number. Every, every team that wins the NBA championship, it's always the eighth guy that matters. Last year, if you look at the eighth guy, it was Bobby Portis for the Milwaukee Bucks, who was their eighth guy that helped them win the finals. And Bob Porter showed up in the biggest moments. So it's like, you know, you need that eighth guy to show up, and that's going to be Peyton Pritchard until Rob gets back. So can Peyton Pritchard keep up his hot streak from three, you know? It matters a lot. And I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer because I don't – we haven't only seen him play for, what, a year now? Yeah. So it's like he was good in, he was good in March Madness, but it's like that's a whole different monster. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to matter a lot if Peyton, Pritch, Peyton Pritchard can step up because, you know, once you get past Peyton Pritchard on the bench there, I don't want to see – Aaron Neesmith in the playoffs. I don't want to see Malik Fitz or re- probably not. Uh, what's the guy they just signed? Um, forgetting his name. Uh, they got Nick Stockis. I don't, probably yeah. don't want to see him. I would, I'm interested on Sam Hauser. He has a great shot. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's really going to come down to these bench guys and these role players because I think Marcus, Marcus, Jason, Jalen, and Al, we know they'll be there. I mean, how many times in the playoffs Al Horford stepped his game up? We know Al Horford's a good player. It's really just going to come down to like what these role guys do. Yeah, and I think 
offensively, they'll be able to adjust and be fine. You'll see less of pick and roll lobs to the rim to Rob Williams with him out. You'll probably see a lot more kind of pick and pops and, and those pick and roll with the seals to kind of seal off the, the help defender and allow the ball handler to drive and attack the rim. Uh, I know Horford lo- or Tice loves to do what uh, Marcin Gortat used to do with the whole seal off pick and roll play. Um, so you might see a little bit more of that with him, a little bit more pick and pop with Al Horford. Uh, but on defense, I think where you're really going to need is the bench. You're going to need, guys like Grant Williams and Daniel Tice to step up defensively. How are you going to protect the paint now without Rob Williams there floating around to serve as that protection? Because the other guys like Horford and Tice and Williams haven't done uh, a great job at defending the rim. They're all allowing uh, field goal percentages anywhere between 55 and 65% at the rim, which isn't exactly great. Uh, if you ask me, uh, so they're going to have to kind of tweak around with it in the stretch run, see what works, see what doesn't. Maybe they even in a small ball lineup, they float around and they try and use Jalen Brown in a similar role as Rob Williams and see if that works. Um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they try and cope for the, the lack of Rob will in the paint, but I think it's possible to at least kind of cover it up. I just don't know if they'll have the same sort of defensive effectiveness without Rob Williams, but they're still at the end of the day, this is still the league's number one defense across the board, whether you're looking at just pure opponents points per game or any sort of advanced metric you can come up with. So despite how important Rob Williams is, this is still a very good team defensively across the board, if not great. And they should be able to figure out ways between the players and the coaching staff of how they're going to manage without him. Absolutely. So I think as we're kind of winding down here, the one big question that remains is whether or not we feel that the Celtics can win the title this year. I think we're both in agreement that a lot of it hedges on the health of Robert Williams, how long he remains out and how quickly he's able to return to form once he is able to return. So there is that kind of asterisk on anything we say, but given where the Celtics currently at are at squid right in here, right now, can they win the title? with or without Rob Williams. I'll, I'll include that caveat. Yeah. So I think it's, a, I, I think it's a, honestly a white or black answer. I don't think it's like this gray area. I think it's with Rob. Yes. And without Rob. No, I just, I truly do. Cause if they get Rob Williams back and they're playing the way they were playing, they're going to go toe to toe with Phoenix who I think is going to be in the finals from the West. Cause they're just an absolute wagon out there. Honestly, I think they can win the finals if Rob gets healthy. I do. I don't see why they couldn't. They have a, they have a top, five-ish, 10 player, and they have the best defense in the league, which does translate to the postseason historically. And, you know, they have a tough coach. They have some gritty, they have some gritty guys. I don't see why they can't win the title. So if Rob gets healthy, I think they can win the title. Yep. I, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement, which is crazy that we're at this point, given where they were at a, couple, a few short couple months ago. But 
if they are able to get Rob Williams back by the end of the second round, if they are able to make it to the conference finals and they get a healthy Rob Williams back and they've got their health, their full starting five healthy across the board playing well with an effective bench, they definitely are the best team in the Eastern Conference. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to advance to the finals and give whoever comes out of the West a run for their money, if not even beat them and win a championship. That being said, I also agree if Rob Williams is not able to return this season or is not able to return in time to make a, a difference in the series, it, if the Celtics run into a, a less than ideal matchup in round two and they don't have the services of Robert Williams, then they're definitely vulnerable. Um, and I definitely think that they could be iffy just to get back to the conference finals. So I I think that it it ultimately is going to come down to the health of Robert Williams. Uh, But just Robert Williams aside, you, you look at where the other X factors could possibly be to, to kind of hang in the meantime. And I think you got to point to Al Horford that he's going to be a big time key, whether or not this team can go far in the postseason without Rob Williams because this man is 35 years old and he's only played in excess of 32 minutes, 19 times in 64 games this year. And during the playoffs, he's almost surely going to be relied upon to do that. So I don't know if he's going to, how he'll hold up, how effective he'll be with that kind of usage. So that's another kind of looming question uh, for the postseason, the longer Rob Williams is out for. Absolutely. And, you know, it's if, if, if the Celtics don't have Rob in the playoffs, I don't expect him to win. And I don't think people could hold him to those expectations, to be honest with you. But if, if Rob's there, I do expect him to at least be at the conference finals. I get it's a tough conference. If they lose, it is what it is. But we have to start looking at the point. Is Jason Tate last? I mean, this is my last thing I had really, my, my last strong point. Mm-hmm. Is Jason Tatum's? Is, is he Boston's best or most important athlete at this point? Ooh, that's that's a tough question. I think if you if you look at the Red Sox, that I mean, you're looking at what Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts. Yeah. I don't know if they quite have the star power that Tatum has because they're they're not MVP candidates. Endeavors could be. He could be. And, I mean, Sleeper. the man is hitting 30-something home runs, 100 RBIs on school nights repeatedly. So, yep. I mean, he's, he's due for some respect in the MVP conversation sooner than later. And unless you get Mac Jones some receivers, he's not there yet. So, yeah. And I mean, the Bruins are good and all, but I just, I don't think the NHL will ever have the star power the NBA has. No. And Pasternak is a great player in his own right. He's one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. But yeah, I think you can definitely make a very good clear cut case that Jason Tatum is the biggest star in the Boston's pro sports scene right now. Yep. It's crazy. So I think that's uh, all I have on my end, Squid. Is there anything you'd like to add before we call it a show? No, I think that's everything, man. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, 
I'd be happy. I hope we're having a podcast, uh, getting ready for the NBA finals when the Celtics are hosting, uh, I don't know, or going at the Phoenix for game one. Oh, for sure. With only about two weeks left in the regular season, we'll be sure to be doing another pod here in the coming weeks, previewing the NBA playoffs and giving our predictions for both the league and the Celtics as to how far we think they'll go given the way the bracket shook out. So for Squid, I am Ryan Brown. We will see you next time. Go Duke. Do it for Coach Hey, K. Brownie, before you sign off on me here, you uh-huh. know, I know you get, you get the Duke, you get the Duke uh, hate a lot. And, you know, I think this one time the, the people need to hear it. This is Coach K's last. I'm not a Duke fan. This is Coach K's last ride. It's been amazing. I wish you guys luck and I hope you guys win. Thank you. What a positive way to end this podcast for once. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. For once, instead of F Duke, it's I wish Duke nothing but the best. So wholesome. What a wholesome way to end the podcast. Thank you. Positive so vibes only. I such a good role model for this podcast. I hope every other guest I have takes notes. And so on that note, we'll see you next time.